Okay, before we launch into this episode at all, Dave, you go out into the wilderness for weeks at a time and stuff, but more than anybody else I know, you are the person that travels through small towns and little road stops and like little mom and pop stores just in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, it's off-putting sometimes. Yeah, right. What is one thing that, like, about this kind of civilization, as opposed to the majority of our listeners live in, like, North American cities and towns, like, when you get into the small backwoods out in the middle of nowhere places, and you have to go in and interact with people, what's the thing that most people don't take into consideration? Or what's one tip you would have for people? Oh, uh, carry cash. <laughs> yeah? Cash is king. Your fancy plastic cards don't work in the woods. Uh, that is very, very, very important. When you go to these little back road communities and stuff, they don't they don't take that stuff. This, this newfangled technology doesn't exist out there. Still, huh? A like lot of 20, places. 2023? A lot doesn't. of places, you know? Like, they, they get charged for it, so they never really adopted it. A lot of the people that live around there live on cash already. They work cash jobs. They, you know, there's no bank. So they just, you know, send, you know, it's a big circle, right? They like just... Yeah, what goes around comes around. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's their own little ecosystem there. More but or less. Do you... Have you ever, like, traded or, like, given cash for anything out in the bush when you bet, like, other hunters or you're out camping and someone else comes by i mean when we were young we like we come across people stuck there's there's a really popular four by fouring area out somewhere near here yeah and people go there all the time and if you'd get stuck you can go up there and pull people out and people will give you you know 40 bucks or a bottle of vodka or whatever they have with them liquor is also currency in the backwoods that's something that i don't think i've ever seen in dnd is liquor, liquor is currency? Currency. Yeah, no, it's it very much is. Like it, it helps to have, you know, just you know, have a beer or And it whatever. fucking would be too in D D like like fine elven wine would go a long freaking way at a furbolg encampment out in the middle of the I don't think it would be mm-hmm. used as currency in D D. I think it'd be more used as gifts or barter on a large scale. So it'd be between ship captains, I'll trade you four flagons of ale for four flagons yeah, of yeah, mead. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Whereas or this fine bottle of elven wine to the noble of the town to get in good with Gratiated them. I wouldn't see it used as a money system. Yeah, yeah. It's not so much give me the you you've caught three rabbits here's yeah here's a wine skin of whatever it would be yeah I like that better actually you just gotta be really careful though because like people are there they can smell a city slicker from a mile away I I had a buddy who's very much wears that that hat and he had trouble out in the backwoods and you know the local good old boys came by and helped him out drank all his beer and hung out with him and drove him around drunk to find his friends. Like it's a double-edged sword. Like don't be be smart. You know, like you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because yeah. they're out in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean that they aren't crafty as shit and ready to take what what you got. Uh huh. Yeah. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're gonna get. Welcome back to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Today we're continuing our discussion on DM tips in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are James and Dave, and this episode is called Settlements, Pros and Cons for Constructing Buildings and Building Structures Like a Pro. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be exploring some concepts around town designs for when you want to build a homebrew town or when you want to flesh out a town that already exists. 
Before we get started, I want to ask, do you add plumbing to your medieval buildings? Yeah, okay, let's roll the initiative. Well, I had a 5, but you knocked me to an 11, but I'm still going last. <laughs> James is at a 6, and I knocked him to a 16, and I got a 15. Alright, James. Six, yes, for convenience. Just one last thing for the players to worry about. One last disease point for the town to worry about. There's magic going around. You can press and digitate that away. Just assume it's in the toilet bowl. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah, okay. In a world of, of create and destroy water and press and digitation and shit, like... There's, yeah, no point not to have some kind of plumbing. Uh, Magical plumbing. So yeah. yeah, but okay, so the way that it works is if you cast the same spell at, at the same thing... Every day for 100 days in a row, it becomes permanent. And that's how you get items with spell effects on them. So if you were to cast Prestidigitation, right, or uh, Create or Destroy Water, yeah. right, you're creating water in, in this barrel every day for 100 Those days. Those are all low-level spells, too. Yep. So you, that can be part of the training at the Mages Guild. Exactly. You cast on this every single day for 100 days, they sell the toilet. Uh, yeah, I, I often add plumbing. I, one of my favorite things to do in every building that I design myself that I homebrew is I will have a handful of really important looking doors like like you know your average door inside a house now usually has some sort of detailing on it and like a decent like knob or handle sometimes I got a lock or whatnot and then I will have just a couple of like clearly closet doors and then one in the middle and that one's always the bathroom and at this point Dan has figured it out but every once in a while like a noble's house you get into a manor of some sort all of the doors look the same, and I just keep hiding bathrooms behind important-looking doors and, and, like, out in the hallways. And it's always, like, a weird little disappointment, but then I always put, a sh like, shit in the bathroom to deal with. There's always a ghost or a booby trap or a magic item or a scrap of a note inside one of the drawers or something. Every time. So I, I love bathrooms in D&D. &D. No, no one ever expects it. Interesting. I never really considered that while we were playing. Like, yeah, we come across them, but... I just, oh yeah, no, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, I found the shithole, next. Yeah, yeah. there's always a clue, or an encounter, or something. I am not digging through that pile for the clue. <laughs> Let me tell you, Dan did that one time, I had an outhouse. That's so why he's like, this is a, this is a weird detail. In D&D, &D, right? I mean... <laughs> Dan. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, uh, I, had, uh, I had a bunch of graffiti inside the outhouse. And so he went in and closed the door. But the graffiti was, it said, like, look down for more info. And he had to get to stick his head to the fucking shithole. And sure enough, there was, like, a uh, secret passcode to be able to get into, a like, a magically warded area. You did so. that on purpose specifically for Dan, didn't you? I didn't think it would be him. At that point, I thought it was Terry that was going in. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, fair enough. Anyway. Dave, do you do plumbing at all? I, you know, I never really considered it. That's one of like, you know, I've, I've said it a hundred times. You know, I, I have quick games. We don't really get bogged down sure, to details. Yeah. I never really considered it. Uh, we have played in areas that have, you know, we go down into the sewers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Right? Like, there's the sewers in, in Sharn and Eberron, right? Like, there's... Yeah. Yeah, there are aqueducts right? like, in some of well. I've absolutely yeah. used it, but not... Consciously, it's just kind of been a byproduct of the setting. There's also multiple kinds of sewers. Is it just a runoff sewer to deal with those excess water on the streets, or is it a refuse? Yeah, sanitary sewer, sewer storm yeah, sewers, a bunch. And yeah. most of D and D, I would assume, has been storm sewers. It, it's funny. Uh, every time that we like, I will have waste sewers there, but then I have oozes that are like mm -hmm. captured and, and they like feed and thrive. Mykonids will live under my city. Cobalds are my like sewage workers. Because they're they've got sunlight sensitivity and they're fine down there and the, 
they will tunnel and, and make more spaces as the town needs more. So, like, I often think about this kind of weird infrastructure, and since I've been working at an air balancing company, I've got, like, ductwork and shit. Not not real, like, ductwork, but, like, chimneys and where and where chimneys are popping out of. How many chimneys? I, I, I think about all of that. You end up on the roof, there are an equal number of chimneys to fireplaces. And if you stack, you know, the first story on top of the second story on the map, the chim the fireplaces are directly over top of each other, so they can same or they can share the same flue. I do that level of shit now. I never did that before, so it's funny to think about. Next is going to be electricity. Anyway, before I rant any more about that, let's cut to an ad break. We previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in Fifth Edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week has been a little wild for It's a Mimic. On Monday, we ended up dropping episode 250. 250. I can't believe it. Today, obviously, this is episode 251. But also, yesterday, we released for the patrons of Silver Tier and above a bonus episode on the playable race that Dan and I hate the most. But on top of all of that, on Wednesday, there's a Pantheon episode for Silver Tier patrons, and then Bronze Tier patrons get a Legend Lore on Thursday and a Legend Lore online that ties into that one on Friday. And then on all the public channels, we've got an Undead episode for Thursday, and then Friday gives us a Platinum Great Worn episode about building a town, which ties directly, of course, into this episode. So we hope that there's enough here so that everyone can finish off 2023 with a big smile on their face. And we hope everyone was able to have a safe and happy holiday season. Let's get back to the episode. Okay, so the very first thing that I want to talk about really quickly here is um, why here? I want to talk about rest stops, right? Because these are the points in between uh, civilizations. And we have to stop and think about why we have a rest stop here. One of my big complaints that I've seen in games and whatnot is people travel for 12 hours out like down the road and there's nothing there, especially on major routes between cities. There should be at least a watering hole or a wide spot for camping. Yeah. Or an inn or somewhere to get a bite to eat. Like that. It seems like someone would have capitalized on the fact that there needs to be a waypoint here. Exactly. Yeah. And I think about uh, Weathertop from uh, Lord of the Rings as well. Like when they go there in the books, people have been here. They've camped here before. Like, they're not up on the top. There's like this little cave halfway up where people stop and there's like clearly a campsite here. All right. So, okay. Uh, do a little bit of like local here. You know, Princeton. Yeah. Okay. So coming out of Princeton towards Vancouver, there's that like super windy highway. Okay. Yeah. And there's a couple of big switchback corners and you, as you're coming out of town, you hit uh, like Friday Creek, Saturday Creek, Sunday Creek. And that was as like, it was an old mining town and the old uh, like horse train coming out of town that would be where they would stop on Fridays because it would leave town on every Wednesday, right? Yeah. And it would stop here Friday and then here Saturday and then here Sunday. So same kind of idea. Like there's these waypoints yeah. around, you know? When you're thinking about how much horses need to rest, how much people walking need to stop, or you know how often weather patterns change, how quickly they change, this is going to dictate where you have your rest points, right? Uh, rivers too. That's a big uh, I was thing. about to say geography as well. If you've got large inclines, declines, 
or anywhere where there's fresh water, these will be places, even if it's just a horse stop, right? Yeah, well, horses need to drink, right? Yeah. Um, for me, the one thing I think of with D&D is we're traveling usually further distances. Mm-hmm. Things are a lot further apart, so the stops should be further apart. So normally when we'd have a stop three hours apart, this one will be a minimum of six hours just because they're traveling twice as far, and everything has some kind of magic in it. Whether you're a magic user or not, you still have access to the man in the air, essentially. Mm-hmm. So beasts would have that too. So I assume everything has a harder, a better stamina. So they can go further, do more before we have to care about stops. Yeah, also when we're telling the narrative story of Dungeons and Dragons, it's very much like everyone's operating at peak capacity. Yeah. Like every horse has all of their hit points back all and no exhaustion. Yeah. You know, at every single morning, right? Doesn't matter how many days on the wagon trail you spent, that horse is fresh on day 73, <laughs> right? So you're always getting your 8 to 12 hours out of a horse. Right? As it should be. <laughs> Fucking lazy ass horses. <laughs> Um, but one of the other things that I'd like to think about as well is whenever I've got large crossroads, I try to put some sort of trading post, right? If you've got three or four kingdoms that are all spread out in the land and there are two major like way, uh, like through points, these are going to be highways or roads or even paths. They're going to cross. If you have an intersection in the middle of fucking nowhere, someone at some point has, is said to themselves, if I put up a small structure here, even if it's just a small pavilion, people will stop. People will stop. And I will be able to get a couple of the little wares that they weren't able to sell at the last place, and they're going to give me a discount to sell them here. And these might be things that people need on the road, or if you're heading into town for other, you know, other cities, you know, the farmers going through may need an extra blanket, or, uh, you know, a wagon wheel broke, right? And not everybody has the ability to just cast mending, right? I try to cater to the common traveler that doesn't have access to magic and then add more magical shit to it to make it feel a little bit more special and fantastical. So I tend to think about trade and then I think about resources as well. Because I, another thing is when you look at a settlement, a medieval settlement, and you have a castle or a town or whatnot, you guys know how many square miles outside of it are farmland? Like 43? <laughs> it's so fucking yeah. much, right, to be able to support that, yeah. like, the population. Um, that's more than a single eight-hour day, like, for a lot of farmers. Like, it's going to take all day to get into town. There will be little rest stops and small little taverns and stuff at different waypoints on major roads going into cities as well. So you don't even have to go out in the middle of fucking nowhere. You can stop in kind of the rural area and grab... Um, you know, a bite to eat, rest the horses, even if you traveled extra hard to get to, to the town, but you didn't make it in time, the weather or whatever, there's going to be somewhere to stop on the outskirts. So you don't even have to get past the civilization. You can still find little rest stops in the outskirts of the civilization as well. I think that's a lot of what you see, actually, Dave, out in the bush. Yeah. <clears throat> like, you, there's a big difference between downtown Vancouver and, like, Oh, Hope, yeah, 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 and no, then like when I'm going out, we yeah. the, these big like crossroads. These are places, these bustling cities, like hundred mile house, <laughs> and and hundred and eight mile house. For for right. those of you that don't know British Columbia, these are podunk little. All right, places. it is big enough that it has an A and W. Okay, that is important. All right, not but big it, enough to have a Tim Hortons though. Uh, it might. It I, might in the gas station. Yeah, right? it's not a real Tim Hortons. <laughs> it doesn't count. Tim, no. I don't know. You know, it might. Hundred miles, kind of like the hub of the region, so it, it might. 
108 Mile doesn't have a have a Canadian tire though. No. That that's you can tell if you're a real city in Canada. Is there a Canadian tire? <laughs> so I want to talk about uh, roadside inns for a minute here, okay? Because as we move up towards settlements and civilizations, I want to just touch on this because the trope is of the, the you meet in a tavern out in the middle of nowhere, and then off you go on an adventure, or you're in a tavern and a very small village, and now it's time to go fight those eight goblins that stole the blacksmith's daughter or whatever. Also, is there, like, a, a goblin slave trade of blacksmith's daughters? Can we just acknowledge that for a second? Like, there's something really... No. There's something odd about that. We're, we're not acknowledging that yet. No, okay. No. Yeah, All right. Not going to acknowledge yeah. goblins. <laughs> um, first and foremost, uh, I want to talk about the difference between um, the different kind of roadside uh, rest stops. So there's the inn, the tavern, the campsite... And what I consider to be like the traveler's waypoint. So the roadside inn has places for people to stop and get a full night's rest. They have rooms. They are an inn. This is probably going to have a restaurant of some sort and maybe even stables attached to it as well for their for people to like put their horses in or uh, lock their wagons up or carts or whatever they have. There's a protected area, probably a large fence around, and a decent-sized place which means that this is enough of a place for um, people to live full-time. There's probably a vegetable garden out back. You probably have a decent-sized backyard. There's probably piles of, of stacked, chopped wood. So right? to, to like equate this to something that I'm familiar with, something like the Prancing Pony of the Lord of the Rings, right? You go in, you've got your full beds upstairs, mm -hmm. you've got meal service. Like, but, you know. but I'm thinking the one that's out, like, it's on the, it's literally roadside. So there's no community around it, right? You would just have... Self-sufficient. It, it's going to be relatively self-sufficient. It still relies on trade. It's still going to have, like, the weekly dwarven ale, like, drop-off, right? Or it could be part of a monastery that brews its own thing, right? And then has a has a inn out front to help people, right? Mm -hmm. But you're going to end up dealing with an innkeeper, a bartender, whatever staff is there, and then probably their families as well. Because you're out here in the middle of nowhere. So I often will have, in a roadside inn, kids running around. Yeah, yeah. At a roadside tavern, you, there's very limited accommodations. Like, the staff lives here, but you are encouraged to go camp outside. There might be a spare room or two, maybe, that's, like, guest rooms for them that you might be able to barter your way into, but, like... If you pass out at the table, they're probably not going to throw you out at the end of the night? Yeah, the, yeah, 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 they'll let you sleep under the table, but yeah, for yeah. a fee, right? So, um, the thing about a roadside tavern as opposed to a roadside inn is as much as the inn has like this defensible idea of fences and a place to lock up your your horses and whatnot just because bandits and predators and whatnot at a tavern which is a bar you got bouncers so you still have a bartender you still have staff and you might have their families but now you have enforcement as well the bartender probably has a plus three great axe above the bar right yeah, because it's not a shotgun. It's yeah, not a shotgun, yeah. no. Yeah, everybody draws their, their magic missiles. Their <laughs> wands of magic missile and points at each other, and this is your... Um, for a campsite, you got to think about what the accommodations are there. Is somebody run the place? Um, you got to wonder, how is this going to be different as far as who's in charge? What are the rules here? There are very clearly rules when you walk into somebody else's establishment. If this is a communal open space by a watering hole... Who's in charge? Is it Mike Makes Right? Is there someone who's consistently posted up here that's going to be, I don't know, selling firewood or... 
Yeah, this is like the typical campsite I'm imagining. It's got like all these different little mini sites, some places to have your own individual spots, but it's probably maybe got a host, right? Yeah. Someone that takes care of things, but it's all very loosey-goosey down by the river, you know. Yeah, I mean, no, no structure really. No, you're gonna have you're gonna have your satyr or your furbolg running the place. Mm. A satyr runs the one that's meant for the frat kids to go to, right? But yeah, but uh, it's gonna be a, a little bit more earthy, and you're not gonna get into the good night's sleep in a in a bed. I'm just imagining like instead of an RV park, it's just like a bunch of covered wagons. But like absolutely, and why wouldn't there be places like this? And if you're thinking about, oh, I'm gonna have an, an encounter at a you know, roadside inn at a, at a tavern of some sort, why wouldn't you put it at a campsite, which is even more wide open and full of more strangers milling about? And then there's, you know, just the traveler's waypoint, like we mentioned before, uh, weather top. So, like, this is where you're reliant upon geography. Hey, there's a bunch of rocky outcroppings here for people to take shelter in because it does blizzard. There is hail, right? There's going to be old ruins that people have... Um, have like these ruins existed here for a specific reason thousands of years ago now they're being co-opted by travelers as a safe haven right uh, maybe even just as a windbreak you're going to be dealing now with more shared structures and more open areas when you're when you've got other strangers you may come into this rest point and find someone else is already camping there or it's the middle of the night and your second watch is up and somebody walks out of the wilderness going oh thank god i finally made it i knew if i pushed on another four hours i could get here in time Hi, my name is, who are you? That happens. That does happen. Yeah, often. Yeah. Um, and so you got to think about what are the resources that are going to attract people here. A lot of the times it's just simply shelter. But it's even better if you can add water. So, i got a couple of questions. Let's uh, grab dice and roll. Okay. Ooh, 17. I got a 5. James, you're going first. What's a big difference between a roadside inn and an in-town hotel? Um, <clears throat> what's around it, really? In town, there's a community sitting around it, so there's a lot more to pull from that. The event that causes your party to start off may not be caused in the tavern. Mm. The burglar, the villain, whatever, may run through the tavern, which brings them into the events. I like the idea of making it a little, like, more rustic. When you these roadside taverns, the chairs are going to be made out of, like, locally sourced trees. Right? Like, you know that they went out back and had someone come in to make some chairs. Like, they didn't ship their chairs in. No, no, no. Right? They had all this stuff done on site. So, you, you apply that to all of the... You're not going to have velvet curtains. They're made of skins and... Yeah, like, you're gonna, yes, you're not going to have glasses you're gonna have probably clay tankards yeah you know that kind of thing right you're gonna get the finer quality when you get to the to the inner town kind of thing the other thing that i would say is is the size of of the clientele is going to be a whole lot different when you're in town there's going to be a lot of people that stay for one night or two nights but at a roadside tavern i think people will stay for a few days and rest up um i also think that when you are at a roadside tavern the people that run the place know who's there they they measure up the size of the people coming in to check in right and they have a basic idea of, of who's there if you walk in you can walk up to like a roadside inn and say hi yeah we're looking for a couple of nights do you have anywhere we can stop and get some food do you know if there's anybody here that that deals in pottery or is there anyone that's that's coming through with uh 
with any extra feed that they may be holding on to. And they're going to... Or can fix a horseshoe, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, we've got some stuff that we can offer if anyone's interested for trading, you know, if you don't mind putting the word out. And I think in a roadside tavern, they're willing to do that. In a major city, I don't know, man, go to the store, right? <laughs> right? They're not... What, do they not have a concierge? <laughs> exactly. And so there, there's going to be that level of people will always be looking for an angle out in the middle of, of nowhere to just improve their lives to some degree. I'm not saying they're hustling, but they're definitely saying, hey, you know what, I can do this. Your artificer should post up. You know, everybody says the bard will then, in the after dinner, will go up on stage and start to sing and play. Sure, the artificer should be walking around going, do you guys need anything fixed? Or can I help with anything? Like the cleric can sit there and go, are there any religious people here that need a servant, a service done, you know, I'm here the next three days. Right, like it can be this kind of of interaction, uh, and your uh, druid is just selling pot in the corner. That's <laughs> he's already doing that. <laughs> he showed up. That's why they're there. Um, when renting rooms, do you keep the party together in one large room, or do you split them up? Ninety nine percent of my characters will rather be split up. Yeah, most of my characters don't trust the party they're with. Because most of them are stealing bastards. Because most, most, most of them are in a party with you, James. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm a murdering bastard, not a stealing bastard. Yeah, it's There's safer a for difference. the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I let them keep their things while they're alive. But what, while they're alive is the problem, James. I don't think I'm necessarily... I've only killed one party member intentionally. So far. Unintentionally is... Yeah, a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> is none of your business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next time, have evasion, bitches. I think I've done it to dress his characters twice unintentionally. <laughs> He'll get over it. No, I don't think he will. <coughs> Dave? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> do you do you let them sleep in one large room? Oh, it depends on the scenario. It, yeah. it, it changes. Uh, right? If we're going through, you know, like a, a little... If it's a friendly area, yeah. Sure, maybe they want their own rooms to kind of like stop and... And, uh, you know, have some alone time. If it's, you know, kind of going through enemy territory or, you know, maybe this isn't run by the nice humans. It's run by the evil goblins. Maybe, maybe you all stay together for safety. You have watches, uh, that kind of thing. But I really just let the players choose. I don't care. I absolutely let them choose. What yeah. just happened at the end of our last session was the entire party boarded a boat. You missed it, Dave. You're on a boat now. Yay! So, um... They... I'm on a boat... They're on a boat. Uh, the cargo hold is empty because everyone's heading, like the ship is heading back to a town. Um, and you guys have managed to work your way onto the boat in the middle of their voyage, right? So they uh, is, they got everybody on board and they said, you have the option because we have helped refugees in the past. We have all sorts of hammocks and stuff. The cargo hold can be transformed very easily into communal um, like quarters. Or we've got some spare quarters. It's two per, but they're pretty small. Do you? What do you guys want to do? And the party looked at each other, and some people said, oh, we're going to sleep in the main cargo hold. And a couple said, well, I'm going to have my own room if they're going to do that. So they split the party up. And then they sat there and looked at each other and went, was this a bad idea? I think we could trust these people. But was this a bad idea? It was a bad idea. Well, uh, in the meta knowledge, they have met this, this crew in the past. Like mm -hmm. the previous campaign met this crew, and they were good guys. So they're pretty sure that it's safe. But no. th but there's a couple of new faces and other people are gone and like it's Don't trust anyone on a boat. Don't trust it's anyone. It's a lesson on a boat. I've learned. 
How many boats do you go on? My ancestors went on one. Okay, all right. Never mind. <laughs> I retract my question. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> we were offered a free cruise once. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure you paid for it, but... <laughs> uh, do you get into the nitty-gritty details of fares and prices when it comes to accommodations and food? Or, like, at what point do you just hand wave that shit? Almost always. Yeah? Yeah. I find it a waste of time. Yeah, you guys are going to have at least enough gold to pay yeah. for a room for a night. Come on, move on. Yeah, the party will have enough gold or enough ability to commit a service. I barely track your gold. I'm yeah. not going to track your silver. No. Right? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, there's that. I honestly, I use Call of Cthulhu rules. I say, hey, it's reasonable that this is how much you would spend in a day. If you are going to be spending an inordinate amount, if it's a ridiculous amount of money that you want to spend, track that shit on your sheets. Right. If you show up at the inn and you say, we're going to buy everyone's horses because we, we're going to go. Yeah, whip out your, your character sheets. We're going to sit down and go over the gold. I'm going to buy an extra flagon of ale. Nope. Yep, you do that. Just fine. Copper comes and copper goes. Right. We just assume. So, um, what's one opportunity for a plot hook or a set piece encounter? You can choose one. Roadside inn, cavern, campsite, or traveler's waypoint. Do you have a, just a quick thing off the top of your head that would be really interesting in one of these? From a campsite, the party doesn't wake up at camp anymore. They wake up in town. Oh, no. Oh, no. You see, I, I, did, I did that to my party, and it was a false hydra. They walked into the woods. I didn't remember this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and suddenly they woke up in town with like... Or no, you guys, you guys ended up on the outskirts of town walking into town going... Huh, this is a pretty town. And got there and realized they'd already been there. And and so you had gone to sleep in your beds and then woke up in the woods with no memory of the town ever in the first place. I love that shit. That that's fucky. Yeah. Give no excuse either. Yeah. Never address it. Oh, just never address it. Never at all. address it. It just happens like once a tear, just a fuck. Not even, just once. <laughs> and they'll always remember it. Uh, one thing I kind of liked was um, I heard about this story uh, during the gold rush where these guys would go in and set up these little shops along, you know, the trail, but they would make sure that they would uh, be the only people to get pickaxes or the only people to get blankets. So people had to go to them, and then they would charge, you know, people of different races, different amounts yeah, for course, the same yeah, equipment, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but I like the idea of your heroes going in and, and like, breaking up that racket. You know, this whole, you know, there's this scummy, like underbelly criminal organization that's running all of these roadside taverns and you know i did that to mieka's character although they were uh, a bunch there was a mercenary guild that was uh running tolls up and down yeah. so every time that you stop somewhere you get up in the morning and there would be somebody outside in a red cloak with a giant pouch on their belt and their hand outstretched going well you spent another night on our road that's another five gold please and then the people that couldn't pay would get pulled out you know, pulled off to the side and get their asses handed to them, and they get their asses kicked. And there they go, back uh, with one hit point, off onto their adventures again. By the way, don't be on our road tomorrow if you can't pay, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was that. She broke that ring up, pretty yeah. good. So um, my big thing is, I think every campsite and in anywhere that you're going to stop that isn't just like a tavern, right? This isn't a restaurant. If you're going to stay somewhere, it should be haunted, right? Like, you should, there should just be, we went and we checked in and we're in this room and then at three in the morning somebody opens the door and is shocked, why are you in here? 
while we checked in. No, you didn't. I'm the host. I've never seen you before. How did you get here? Well, the woman at the front. Oh, God. What did she look like? Old, gray hair, was wearing a purple shawl. So you've seen our resident ghost, and she checked you in. Anyway, you owe us pay up front, please. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, like, there should just be ghosts everywhere. Or demons. I mean, crossroads, waypoints, Ooh, yeah. demons. There we know. go. Oh, yeah, that merchant at the crossroads. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Always have the best deals. I I just had a player turn down an opportunity to get warlock levels from a from a deal. I will, what was the deal? I will give you an extra level of power. Define extra level. Like, am I going from level four to level five? Yeah, it was level six, level seven. Level six, level seven. Am I actually going to level six, level seven, or just getting the additional power level to level seven? No, 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 no. You get an entire warlock level on top of everything else you get for free. So, in in essence, I could go to level essentially 21. Like yeah. 20 in my yeah. normal stats, yeah. and then one in warlock. Yeah. Well, that's an easy sell, soul. Yeah. What, what was the price? Oh, you know, we'll figure it out later. Oh, wow. Uh, no. <laughs> You're not going to get an open-ended deal from me. Uh, blank checks. No, it was uh, it was very much a... Uh, it was it was hags. And there were hags going, Hey, we really like uh, what your deal is and what you're doing and whatnot. And uh, we have some information that you may want. We're willing to power you up because we have a common enemy. Do you want the power? And, the, and it was Charlie. And Charlie's like... Absolutely, I want that power. No, we're not. We don't have this deal. Absolutely not. And like, we were rolling persuasion and insight, and it yeah. was it was a hell of a of a tense session. Um, also, uh, Casey was suffocating in the other room, and only only Charlie knew it. So. Yeah, we'll get there. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a time limit on this as well. And so finally, you know, they, they, they he got away. But good times. <clears throat> What's a wild and flavorful NPC you might find while stopping at a rest stop? There's a lot of people you can find in a world. A gold dragon or a copper dragon, whatever one that likes people more. Can't remember what dragon color it is. Brass and copper. Copper does practical jokes. Brass is, is so, so they cool. act as the campsite warden or whatever, but their goal is to find people. So they'll find a certain people they want, and you'll find someone that's similar to this guy again at another campground if he likes you. So he's following these people around till they do something good or until they need that last little push to the, do something good. And then he gives them that push, gives them that power, but now he's responsible for their victory. Now he can claim rights across what they won. I fucking love that too. As you guys are as you guys are traveling, you can see overhead a massive dragon flies. Oh, not that obvious. The, like, the, no, I would be like flies above you and then like hours later you get to a campsite, there's a person who's been polymorphed. It's the dragon. Oh, hey, how you going? How's it going? And there's always like a furball. Like they always pick the same little, just off race. Like it's a, it's a Goliath or something. Really friendly Goliath that runs the place. Then the next day at about noon, a massive dragon flies overhead, the same direction. This guy just leapfrogging you over and over again. I, I wonder how long it would take for people to figure that See, out. See, I wouldn't do the flying over. He teleports wherever he needs to go because he's got hundreds of people he's watching. Oh uh, yeah. 
So he's got a whole bunch of little heroes he sent off into the world, giving them their boosts, their advantages. Oh, I love how condescending that is. A hundred just little heroes. Yeah. yeah. And that's the point. He's so oh, condescending. Oh, no, 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 that's great. That's great. Yeah. These are little playthings for him. These are little toys to go off into the world. The musings, yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, interesting NPC. Uh well, I mean there's some like favorites, you know, the old the good old Bernard the Bard. But um, I think the the one that stands out to me the most was uh, I had a DM one time who had this like quirky little gnome tinkerer that would show up and he would have these weird little mechanism trap kind of things and you had the opportunity to buy them and they were always different. It would be like a little pouch that you'd throw and it would bust open with a little cloud of some sort of um, not not magical like some sort of natural. Maybe maybe not quite alchemy, but yeah, but, yeah, he's playing with powders and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's there's weird stuff going on, but it was all trinkety and and you know there was some like mechanism and stuff to them. It was really interesting because the DM would sit down and come up with all these different little trinkets, and he would explain how they would all work specifically and kind of like lay it all out, and it really had a good knack for it. That was about all they had a knack for, though. But it it. You know, it was kind of a neat little quirky character to kind of run into every so often. You get to this waypoint and you get the opportunity to buy these once in a, you know, blue moon, non-magical, mundane, neat trinkets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to do a non-humanoid. I tend to do this at most of my friendly places now, where I will put a tressum so that it's a cat with wings, right? And... And they always have just a little bit of attitude and they're not interested in hanging out with most of the party members, but they'll latch on to like one, right? And so I would like to have a unicorn that doesn't speak, who's just at the campsite and is there and never leaves. Like it's their campsite and everyone else is allowed to be there with them. And if tensions rise, the unicorn steps forward and watches. And like, it's just this presence, right? So well, do the unicorn where only one party member can see it and you text them that. You don't say it out loud in front of everyone. That's, you see a unicorn standing in the corner. That's and really just fun. you. That's really fun. There's a campsite up West Harrison that you can only get to with a four-wheel drive. And on the way in, there's occasionally llamas just hanging out on the road. Oh, is this like the peacocks that just exist out in Surrey for no yeah, reason? Yeah, but yeah. it's just like it's very, very sparse. Like every so often there will be a sighting of the llamas. <laughs> <laughs> the sighting of the llamas. Yeah. My problem with having an invisible creature that only one person can see is, at my table, Megan, Dan, Charlie, and Mieka will assume that it's an It Follows scenario, or, okay, this thing is here to kill us and only I can see it, right? Let's say you pick your care, care player carefully, like yeah, Dave yeah. or me as a player. I wouldn't attack right away. I would watch it and figure out if I can get something from it. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, there's that. Um, Dave wouldn't attack it right away either. It depends. If I'm just like the dumb barbarian, I might try to put an axe through it. Well, once again, pick your character. Yeah. Um, so let's talk for a minute about settlements. We've talked about these little meeting spots that are out there for people um, that are going between settlements. But first of all, when we when we look at the map, assuming that we're building a homebrew uh, world, and we're going to put down uh, cities and settlements in different places. we got to think about the travel between, how many rests, how many days in between, and what's the weather going to be like. I'm actually going to string settlements closer together if we're up in the Arctic or we're out in the desert, and you absolutely need to go from settlement to settlement. If you veer off the path, 
you're fucked. Yeah, if, right? if you're out for more than a day or two, exposure will kill you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, um, so that's one thing that I think about. I then look at geography. I'm not going to put a whole lot of settlements at the top of mountains unless it's going to be one of those reclusive monasteries or something, right? Uh, or a Goliath. You want to go deal with the Goliaths? They're up there, but they're not on the way there, right? People tend to go the path of least resistance when they travel, which means valleys. That means lowland, not highland, if they can help it. I'm going to look at uh, the easiest way to trade. A lot of times that's up and down a coast, and so I put a lot of settlements on coasts and on major rivers. I mean, Canada was pretty much founded entirely on major rivers and coasts and how long it takes to get across the prairies, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then I look at what resources are available. Things like water. Uh, is the ground able to be farmed? Uh, is there natural protection, a barrier on one side or another? Like the fact that there was Helm's Deep was built up into a into a cliff face, into a, a series of mountains, just so that they could have a defensible place to drop uh, to fall back to. And then the proximity to something fantastic, which is something I think we forget about in the regular world, but was very much a thing in ancient times, where things like holy sites and um, and places of what was considered great power would be where civilizations would pop up. A lot of times it was unforeseen natural things like, oh, people just live longer in this area. Well, yeah, man, you have easy, easy irrigation here that happens, right? But in a fantastical situation, there would be places where gods have touched down or there are magical hotspots where the ley lines cross or there's a natural portal to, portal to the Feywild so fruit grows bigger here or something, right? Like, there would be places like this. And then we got to stop and think about the sizes. I had, a, I had a hard time with this. I sat and thought real long and hard about it. How big are settlements? Because what we have in, a, in our fantasy, our medieval fantasy, is not how shit actually worked in real life. Not by a damn sight. Um, the settlement, like, again, the farmlands do not support the population size. The people that are in a small village should be 90% farmers. And it just it fucking isn't in D&D. You have a blacksmith and a baker. And like, where's that? Where's the grain coming from, guys? Come on now. So we've got people that are hermits, right? And so you have your one little shack in the middle of nowhere. Might be somewhere to stop off if you're desperate. This is also a lot of like ruins and things out in, out in uh, the middle of nowhere. They're going to be where you have landmarks. So these landmarks are going to be unique things. Ruins or a wizard tower that's kind of halfway between a hermit and... Somewhere where you where you can go stay on the outskirts uh, for a little while. Um, you have hamlets, villages, forts. Am I correct? Is a fort just a defensible village? More or less. It's got some basic amenities, right? Yeah. But, I mean, I think the fortification is right in the name. But shouldn't almost, in a medieval society, shouldn't almost every city have walls of some sort? We got to the point where we didn't need to because we expanded out that farmland around far enough and hunted the dangerous animals that were in proximity to the point where they weren't a problem. Right, but we didn't have orcs or dragons or yeah, but bullets. Yeah, but right. the fort is considered a permanent army post. So okay. without an army there, it is not a fort. It's just a walled town. Okay, okay. So I guess the fortification applies more to the army fortification, to the army as, as yeah, opposed but, to the actual building. Yeah. So you could, in theory, have a fort with no walls if it's an army's. If it's fortified strong enough by an army, yeah. it usually does have walls and usually, other structures because yeah. 
you're fortifying a place because it's supposed to be a permanent location. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board. According with that. to a quick Google. So, um, above fort, we have town. Usually bigger than towns are port towns. Port towns tend to just be bigger just because there's more goods going through. There's more people. Um, then cities. Sometimes cities are supported or, or support castles. So castles can be pretty fucking big. Um, and they tend to promote city growth around them. And then you've got a metropolis. I have trouble justifying a metropolis in a fantastical setting, although I will have the odd one once in a while. But again, how are you supporting this many people with so many different needs? For me, it depends on how rampant magic is. This if is magic the, is yeah. easy as going to your corner store and picking up a book or a scroll, then I have no issue with Metropolis because there's magic to help you grow plants. This is why I like Sharn and why I like Sigil and um, Water Waterdeep. Like, there's magic built into these cities. Oh, yeah. I mean, Waterdeep's got the, the tower, the, the large giant... The walking statues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing to think about once we've decided what size, like where we're going to put this, you know, based on geography, how big we want it to be, we then got to start looking at the politics of it as well, because a lot of times you walk into a village and every village has a mayor for some reason. And I don't know why that is, because villages don't have mayors. They have like council members. They've got a magistrate. They've got one noble family that has run the place for the last I think mayors get an all-inclusive catch-all for all these positions because yes each different size would have a different person in charge but that's a lot for people to remember not just the DM but players yeah like oh am I talking to the town's lord or the mayor or the inquisitor or the yeah, Timbuktu right yeah, it's, so it's, it's, is this the baron I'm just call it a mayor or call it a lord and be done with it yeah so we normally have the higher ups still working my way down King slash president slash cardinal, they tend to rule cities. Um, you've got counselors and senators. You've got uh, governors, and, and then sometimes a governor or a baron or a mayor can be the same thing, but sometimes uh, you'll have a mayor underneath a governor as well. Uh, and then you have stewards or reeves as well that, that are just kind of basic advocates for the people that are that are there. If you have a small village of like, Oh, 400 people. You might just have a reeve, and that's it. Like, you may not even have a mayor. There may not be a political structure. There's, There are no elections that are happening here. Everyone just says, yeah, that's the person in charge of making these decisions when we need to, you know. He's the guy that lives in the big house on the hill. But that's going to determine, you know, when the harvest festival is going gonna, is gonna to happen. Shit like that, right? So, yeah. um, But then we got to look at... The guards, the rangers, the police that actually enforce the rules. So we've got, like, the military structure involved. We've got, are there internal police as well? Or just a sheriff and deputy a constabulary, right? Uh, are there investigators and inspectors like there are in some of the large uh, settlements? Because some of the smaller ones won't be able to just have a private investigator on top of their city guard, right? Uh are there conscripts and, and mercenaries and militia in this area? Is is everybody a volunteer firefighter? Probably. Who's on the volunteer police force, right? If you're in a small enough community, there might not be a police force. There may be three or four big, tough guys that are on call. There's a problem down in city, or the town square. Right up the posse. Pretty much. Like, that shit exists. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there's different organizations and guilds that you might have, like mercenary guilds or... Or protection guilds of some sort. 
or organized crime that does like that provides protection. Um, and then you have unofficial leaders like guild leaders, community leaders, nobles, merchants, or even just some entertainers, right? That can sit there and uh, like a town crier almost. That's not necessarily a leader, but is up to speed on the news and knows where everything is and kind of has a feel of the pulse of the, the city that you're in. So that's a lot to think about before we've even really populated this this village, but kind of the structure that we're in. I almost, almost went off on a rant about the different kinds of, of politics, like a meritocracy or a, or an aristocrat, or a, like aristocracy, or a, like there are so many different, are we run by religious leaders? Are we run, run by, uh, is there an election cycle? Is Let us family? break down the feudal system. Exactly. I, yeah. And we're not going to do that. But again, that's another thing to think about when you're going through this. So. How do you just... Oh, let's roll dice. I'm going to roll dice again. I want the yellow one. I want that one. Okay. 13. 10. Uh, 13. Roll off. 16. All right, Dave, you're first. Yes. How do you decide where to put your settlements when you're world building? Uh, I open up the book and I see where Wizards has when, placed it. When you are world building. Um, I, I, I guess I don't really. I, I haven't really sat down and drawn a map in maybe ever you know i i kind of come up to you guys are in this settlement already you guys move on to the next settlement i don't really think about it it just has the features that settlements would have it okay. has access to water uh, all right hold on let, let me change the question then but first james do you ever world build or are you just permanent player uh permanent player at this point like i've done world building for other stories and stuff yeah. i've worked on and it's kind of as need based yeah so if there's two massive kingdoms and one major road leading out of both them that crossroad there'd be a city there no sure. questions yeah, yeah. asked yeah absolutely so stuff like that where it kind of makes sense there should be one or even sometimes when it doesn't make sense and that can give you a reason why is there a city here there's mm -hmm. got to be something around at least at some point so, so let me ask then, when you're world building, the easiest way to do it, and what I always suggest to everybody is go small, build big. Don't go big and build small because you'll just get stuck in the minutia and the details forever. You will never finish. But if you start off with, here's my small little village, it's on a road. And you don't, your vague idea that the road goes from east to west and there's a city on each side, but you don't really know, right? Like you haven't gotten that far yet. Do you guys... Build small and think about just like what I need for this story is, and that's how big the settlement's going to be, and then expand from there. Or do you have an overarching idea of kind of the country, the realm, the like the story you're going to be telling? In a I kind of do both at the same time. So yeah. I'll start what's why the characters are in this small town and what's going to kick them out. Yeah. But why are they leaving the small town? How is that story connected back? How is that story connected to this? So yeah. I kind of build a base design of how the world looks. Okay. Of how the world will see that village, of how the village sees the world. And then you can add from there. Okay. I mean, I think I keep it pretty tunnel vision. I keep it kind of what we're doing is what we're doing. I don't really think... You run tight campaigns with specific goals. Yeah, so, no, I don't really think about the other stuff. There might be a couple, of like, bullet points that I've gotten written in a notebook that I want to hit at some point. Mm -hmm. But that's about as far as I go. Does this mean that you guys don't expect a sandbox very much? You stick to the railroad? Oh, I expect a sandbox because I like to sandbox uh, DMs. Like, Kyle, we were playing with, and he was talking about we were going into a new town, and I pretended that I knew some noble house in the town. Sure. 
And Kyle tries to have the argument with me back and forth of that I don't know these nobles. And then I start asking him questions about all the nobles in town. And his characters don't know it, like his uh, NPCs. Sure, I mean, because like, I'm that, that type of player that I would know all those nobles in town and how they're connected to that town because I would ask that question. Mm -hmm. Because that may be useful for me later. I don't know. Have you ever tried playing a character that isn't James? No. <laughs> Have you ever played, tried playing a character that isn't Dave? Yes. When? When? Name one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right off. All of them are you. Everyone of them. All of them are variations it's just, of you. It's just you from a different angle. No. <laughs> yes. You are. This is the Funhouse Mirror version of Dave. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Name one that isn't. The only one I haven't played that has been my Tortle, which I played with Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And that that one wasn't James. I'll no. Fletherin wasn't. Fletherin absolutely was. Fletherin walked into the room. Didn't talk to a fucking soul. Stared at everyone, and when it was time to pop off, was the most was the handiest fighter in the room. Where it was just willing to fucking murder things. Not going to start shit, but will end shit. And is going to let everybody else do their own thing. But if this gets too complicated, I'm going to bed. Don't even try, Dave. Yeah, that was fucking you. <laughs> the fuck. Don't even try. <laughs> You're worse than me. You, it was just a gender bent Dave. That's all that was. <laughs> Did we, did we learn something? <laughs> no. I no, refuse. We, we learned he didn't learn anything. <laughs> trying to think of other characters. I mean... Gunther the Hunter. I don't... I, Call of Cthulhu doesn't count. Call of Cthulhu doesn't count. All right. Because, okay. I mean, like, I'm not... Arns. We haven't really... Okay. Arns is, is my current Thursday character. He is a half-orc paladin who's an entertainer. He's the guy that's going to get up into the tavern at the end of the night and, like perform with his stories mm -hmm. but he's such a surfer bro right that's not me he's just a stoner yeah sure dave you're absolutely not the entertainer he says on the podcast <laughs> hold on hold on james have you ever had on your resume the word actor before no dave have you N no no but should you have because you've been an actor yes have you been cast in actually multiple short films I do more behind-the-scenes work. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. multiple <laughs> short films. <laughs> I mean, you're usually fighting zombies, but there we go. Like, <laughs> they just shades of you, but I mean, I did have, like, the work ID that said actor on it. When yeah. Because I, I was a zombie for a few months, right? Yep. However, um, Zenthos was very much just prime 100%, like, boiled down to the core version of who Dave wants to be. A, a Confidently Le incorrect. A, 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 what? <laughs> a, a Leonin barbarian that listens to fucking no one. Uh, now listen to me. Defoe, right now, yes, you're playing a fairy who is a ranger who has just been like, I'm not interested in the fae and their bullshit. I don't want any of this nonsense. No, I, I smell like brownies. That's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah and, and that's it. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. See, that's another way. <laughs> All right, move, oh. moving on. I don't think I'm ready to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. You need to move yeah, on. Yeah, you need to move on characters, Dave. <laughs> I don't like uh, this. All right, beyond magic items, is there anything that you would think about that would be useful trade? Like, what is one thing when you've got a merchant or a, a shop in a, in a settlement that you think would be interesting for a plot hook? Something that people don't think about when they're world building, like... The first thing that always comes up to my head is I will not have docks without having fishmongers around. There's always fishmongers. Not just... You just want to say fishmonger over I and over. I do love the yeah. word monger. Yeah. 
Yeah, isn't that a kind of like comic book, James? Monger? Maybe. <laughs> manga is a thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if monger was also a thing. Because there's manhwa as well. No, that's what manga is, but in like in the south of the United yeah. States. I'm not reading that monger. Dave. Do you have any any unique trade or uh, or good or service besides magic that people don't think about for their medieval fantasy settings? No, I don't really like bog my games down with that kind of thing. I say bog down like it's such a hassle. To do. <laughs> but uh, I never think about grain farmers. Fuck them. No, not really. I mean, other than you know, you're stopping to help these farmers. If they ask me what these farmers are farming, I've I haven't gone that. I haven't prepped that. I don't, I don't know. Let me let me look. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. Yeah. It's pumpkins. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> right, but so, I mean, so no, not I. I don't particularly no. James spell components. I, that's never brought up ever. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Every apothecary that I have has got a an herb garden in the back, which is just like. There are walls between some of the herbs because you can't even let them touch, right? Like I think that that's brilliant. Yeah, the spell components. Um, I also like to trade in fantastical beast parts. We have an ivory trade here. You damn well know there's going to be like a, yeah. a giant skeleton that has been polished and bleached and is on display in the corner of the tavern, right? Like there will be mammoth heads mounted in in city hall, like. There's going to be beast and creature monstrosity parts out there. I bet taxidermy's intense. Oh, probably. Well, even the, what's it called? Um, the Amazon D&D show. Vox uh, Machina? Yeah, yeah, the Critical Role. Yeah. Um, they've got the, the underlying story with the with the guild that hunts fantastic creatures yeah. and stuff, right? Like, it's, yeah. I uh, The other thing that I did, which kind of shocked everybody, it confused them at first, was... I had a farm uh, that was an apiary, so they just raised bees. Of course, there would be that shit, right? Honey would be a commodity in ancient times. Oh, you need it for mead. Right, like, yeah. it absolutely. It's, it, and it never goes bad, right? So it would absolutely be something that people would want lots of, but we never think about just having, like, beehives. So, uh, do you prefer to DM games in larger or smaller settlements, and why? Oh, uh, I guess smaller just because there's less distraction I, I i can't stress enough that i just really like these tight two three hour games that we just run through it and away we go the the more options there are the, the more we're going to get bogged down with that and the more we're focusing on one person when there's six of us at the table you know i try to move on pretty quickly from that fair you also have shorter sessions than i do yes i also don't have the attention the, span of your players exactly yeah yeah so i, I can't just I've got some really committed players, right? And it's taken a long time. It's taken decades for me to get a table full of committed players that are not just blowing off steam on a Thursday night, right? Yeah, like I know that if I sat down and gave Kyle the opportunity to take advantage of some of these things, he absolutely would. But I also know that Anthony, fuck you, Anthony, <laughs> would be uh, sitting on his phone watching his, you know, hockey team. Or trying to stay awake. Yeah, or shooting me again. <laughs> um... Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've got a bead on everyone I've ever DM for. I can usually tell whether or not they want to engage with a, with a larger or smaller town. And the only one that I actually have a problem with ever was James. 
because he would engage with absolutely everything and he would want to break it. And if he breaks it in a small town, I can recover. But if he breaks the, the fucking royal line <laughs> in my in my castle... Well, I wasn't able to do that one, though. We, did, we hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah, we, you we, didn't let me get yeah. there. I was close. <laughs> the campaign fizzled out before we got to that point. I even got myself back alive so I could do that. <laughs> what, uh, do you prefer to, to DM? As like you kind of both said, it depends on the party. Yeah. There are certain parties I'd be happy to have in a big town because they won't get lost in the minutiae. And they, mm. even if they do go break something, it will be done in, I'm not going to say an intelligent way, but a way that the story can be brought about with it. Yeah. Whereas there's other people I've played with that I would never let them into a big town. I would never let them be able to break something that is anything close to important. Because they'd break it in the dumbest way possible. A way that can't be recovered and the whole story kind of needs to be thrown away. The other thing to, to talk about in this in this conversation too is the people who are knowledgeable, like wh what's their wheelhouse in real life as well. For example, I could run an entire campaign out in the wilderness with like two or three very small villages for Dave and Dan to dick around in. You guys would have a blast just like owning the fucking wilderness. I couldn't do that with Mieka. She wouldn't know what to do with the downtime. She wouldn't be able to handle... Like, she she does her rest, and then she leaves again. Do her D&D &D characters sleep outdoors? No. <laughs> no, they absolutely do not. No, they don't camp at all, huh? Almost no. never. No. Like, it's... She will always try to sleep in the wagon if she can. Hard stop. But, Dave doesn't want... I, I, if I was like, hey, Dave, we're going to play an urban campaign. You have, you have done your eight hours today of adventuring... You have 16 hours before, you know, tomorrow morning when you're supposed to meet this person. What do you want to do in town? You always say, well, I'm going to have some food. I'll probably get drunk and go to bed. Yeah. There's no exploring the town. There's no talking to merchants. There's no, like, I, I could send Miek and Casey out to just go shopping. And they could, they could milk about four sessions consecutively out of a shopping spree and be absolutely fine with it. But they would want to roll two dice and be done hunting. I could have Dave and Justin and Dan, you know, and Terry go hunting out in the woods. And we could get into the minutiae of it, right? There would be survival rolls all over the place. You guys would have a blast with it. I said, I said shopping spree and Dave almost rolled his eyes. I could see the tension go, fuck, please don't do that. Yeah, no thank you. Yeah. So I, I don't want to talk to people in, in general. Social situations give me anxiety. I, 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 don't, I don't want that in my fun game. Where do you land on that, James? Would you rather be in the wilderness for an entire campaign or be in a city for an entire campaign as a player? That depends on the DM. That's fair. That's a good point. Yeah, I have some DMs that aren't particular. Like, Kyle, I would rather be in the wilderness yeah. or in an underground, something where you don't have a lot of social interaction because I'm able to get under Kyle's skin as a human being. So he always reacts as his NPCs back at me. Yeah. And that's not good for either of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can't get I start pissing him off and I'm like, oh, I just continue to push these buttons because he's mad. And I'm like, oh, wait, now Kyle's mad at me and not the NPC. <laughs> Kyle's mad at me. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's fair. Whereas you could fucking go at me all day. And yeah, day. and you'd yeah, be yeah. perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, if you build a settlement for your campaign, do you draw a map for it, or do you just keep it in your head? Depends on the value of the settlement to the story. Okay, let's say you're going to spend... Look, if you're going to spend ten sessions, you draw a map. Yeah. If you're going to spend one session, you, you don't need it. So four sessions. Do you bother to, to throw down a little sketch? Or? Yes, 100% every time, because it's... Here is what it is. I don't have to explain it. 
Here's a picture. Look at it. Move on. Okay. Here's a reference for you later. You want to go to the blah? Look at the map. Move on. It cuts down on confusion. Yep. We're all on the same page. It's right there. You And you put like, hey, here's the blacksmith. Here's the tavern. Here's the yep. graveyard. Done. Right? Yep. Like labeled and everything. Yep. For me, if it's just something like blacksmith, graveyard, cleric's house... And that's it, and they're not going to be doing anything story-wise. It's not, gonna, it's, not, it's not the cleric's house. The cleric's house. <laughs> the cleric's house is all that matters. Yeah. But if it's the older doing there, there's nothing story-wise, there's nothing they're accomplishing, there's kind of hanging out in this area, I wouldn't bother drawing it. It's a waste of my time. It's got to be important. It's got to be yeah. useful. If there's the a reason for it, I'll give yeah. them a map. If there's nothing important here, and you won't get a map. And that's a good way for my players to know there's nothing important in this town. Fair. Like, if you want to get stuff done, downtime, go to the hawker, get your horses to shoot again, whatever, we can get that all done here. It'll all be available here, but nothing else is important here. Uh, I will almost always try to give a world map and battle maps. I will not bother with city maps as a general rule. As a matter of fact, you guys have been in the same city for how long, Dave? Like, better part of 2023, you've been in the same town. Um, oh, in Mad Mage? <laughs> no, 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 in uh, in our campaign. Oh, in your, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but, and I still have not provided a city map. Yeah. Like, and I much prefer having everybody just kind of be relatively on the same page in their imagination. Yes, but as a DM, you excel at descripting things. Like you, you're very, or even describing them. No, descripting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, James. <laughs> about more to your point, actually. Yeah, right? Like, that's not something I'm very good at. I don't articulate my points well. I don't articulate my thoughts well. So that's something that I, I do genuinely, like, in everyday life struggle with. I'm not going to put myself in that situation when I'm DMing, you know? Okay. What, what about you? Do you have a... Do you build maps for, like, a four sessions? importance once again yeah. even if they're there for four sessions and nothing important's happening you're not gonna and i don't need a map yeah okay but i like to think that it's going to be up to them to decide whether or not it's important i will give them this hook i know everything decide yeah. it's important. well exactly i haven't given them a hook for this town or the hook i'm giving them is the blacksmith next door can put shoes on your horses that's your hook Cool. Actually, when I was running the False Hydra, are you familiar with the False Hydra? No, okay, so. so the False Hydra is essentially a gigantic creature that lives underground in a settlement that um, is consistently singing all of the time and is wiping the minds of, of people. Mm. Um, so that or not wiping the minds, they are invisible as long as they're singing. Mm-hmm. When they eat somebody, which they do, they've got all like they're kind of like a, a hydra, right? Yeah. And so all these heads uh, on long necks are popping up out of the ground. Tremors style and, and eating people and when they do once they've eaten that person they then wipe the mind of anyone that can hear the song to not remember that person existed anymore mm-hmm. so all memory of that person is gone and that creates cognitive dissonance there are people that are sad because they feel lost but they don't know why they have to justify to themselves why is there you know woman's clothing hanging up in my closet i've never been married but their wife was eaten yesterday right so so there's these weird, like, mental gymnastics. Sometimes uh, it drives people crazy. Other times people go completely, like, invasion of the body snatchers. Everything is normal. We're all fine. This is this is good. And sometimes people are, like, they know something's wrong, but they don't know what. So I dropped my, my players into that. We had a, a decent break from playing. And uh, one of our players, Mieko, of course, went home. And so I just suddenly dropped them they were on a cliffhanger they were climbing the outside of a house and the next thing they know they're walking into town and they don't know why and it took six sessions to figure out 
what was going on. And this thing murdered a bunch of people that nearly killed the entire town off. I thought I had just missed a session and I was too nervous to speak <laughs> up. And I was just waiting for people to fill in the blank. I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but like it was it was very much like they showed up in town and found that they had already checked into the hotel. They they were traveling without their bags or their adventuring gear. And so I can tell them like, well, where's all our shit? And then they found it in their room in the hotel. And so there was this real weird sense of trying to figure out what the mystery was. They thought they were time traveling for a little while. They thought the gods were fucking with them for a little while. Finally, they figured out after sessions that, that all of this shit was going on. But I knew what my plot hook was. And the plot hook is, you guys are going to spend some time in this town. And every day, you're going to see the characters, the all the NPCs, doing what's normal to them. But as as some of the NPCs, like there were two dwarves that had a pet badger they would take for a walk every day. On day three, it was one dwarf taking a pet badger for a walk. On day five, there's a dwarf, very sad, very confused, walking through town square holding a leash and not knowing why. Right? And and I was slowly adding these details, but it was every building that you're in. So I knew the plot hook, so I built town square. I gave them a map. And I said, here are the NPCs here. Here's the, the map. So that they knew where that they where they could go, and this is where the plot hooks are. When you guys traveled out into the rest of town, no map, it's just hand wave because the plot hook isn't here; it's in town square, right? So I think that very much speaks to what you were talking yeah. about, James. Um, so let's talk about realism for a second. Outhouses, wells, farmlands, merchants, drawbridges, guardhouses, and open acreages for grazing livestock. How realistic do you get into city planning? I mean, I don't get super into it. I just kind of like hit the main ones, the stuff that they're likely to deal with. Uh, if they're a, a spellcaster, there'll be somewhere they can get components. If they're a druid, there's somewhere that they can get, I don't know, shillelaghs, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what is that, it the druids do? I don't that, know. That, that's not how that works. Shillelagh, according to Guppy. <laughs> yeah, a pet store? Is that? <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, like, they're, they're, there's stuff to cater to the players, and that's about as far as I'll go. Yeah, same here. If they need it, it's there. If the town's surrounded by a wall, it's got a gate. If they're surrounded by a moat because there's a river nearby, it's got a drawbridge. Link. After that, it's uh, ask me what you're looking for, and I'll tell you if the city has it. Do you need a, a cooper to do things? Yep. Yeah, sure. So it's funny that you bring that up because we're going to talk about coopers here in a second. So um, I very much am the same way. Like, I'll put the thought into this to make it make sense, but it's at the population level. When I sit there and say, I want 15,000 people here, I go, how much farmland? Uh, 25 square miles. Everything else is done by trade, and we'll put a major river nearby to cover my ass on that. Uh, but I'm not getting into, well, this farm has this many people living on it, and nope, don't worry about that shit. Like, if we need to, I will build a farm later, right? Um, there are a lot of people that like to get into the nitty gritty. And I think about like George R.R. R. Martin, you fucking know that guy plotted out every shop in King's Landing. His world building was intense. But then it, because it's not reality, it also doesn't hold up sometimes. Like how, where, where's the Night Watch getting their food from? And don't say hunting. Like where are these guys living their entire lives in the Arctic? How are they getting food? Because they're not farming and there's not a whole fuck lot of trade that goes up there. Yeah, they, they went over. They send supplies to them. Sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, through the winters, they're doing that? They're yeah. sending... Yeah, okay. I don't buy that for a fucking second. Me like, neither. Like, hand wave that shit, fine. But it falls apart at some point, right? So, um, 
I don't know. Like, I'll put sewers in because I like to go kill rats in sewers. But I will also have outhouses sometimes in the same city that has sewers because it's not a perfect infrastructure yet, right? Look, that makes sense. When I go camping at some of these, like, glampy sites, yep. uh, they'll have flush toilets. But in the wintertime, they shut those all off because they freeze and break. Yep. So there are outhouses as well, right? Like, of course, there's going to be... Mm-hmm. And that's my other thing, too, is if I don't have rivers and fresh water and stuff, I will often, just as I'm building my maps, throw down wells. I always have that in the back of my mind. Put in a well. Just put in a well. You can always do something in a well. There's all sorts of adventures and bodies and horror and trinkets and items, and there's always something you can put in the well. Timmy. So, put Timmy in the well. Let's talk for a second about buildings and services within a city. And I'm going to whip through this real fucking fast. All right? So... Because there's a lot that can go into to these uh, medieval cities that we don't think about anymore. Uh, stop me when you don't recognize a, a term or something, okay? So, uh, starting off with merchants, we have coopers, cartwrights, chandlers. Actually, it occurs to me that some people may not know what these are, so I'm listening out loud. Coopers are barrel makers, cartwrights are, well, they make carts. Chandlers are candle makers. Uh, there are wheelers that make the wheels for the carts. Uh, there are... Oh, that's what Wolf did in uh, Future Man, right? He was the wheel guy. <laughs> Such a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Future Man... You're uh, missing out. Yeah, yeah, you're missing out. But it is very rated R. <laughs> very rated R. As a matter of fact, I think I talked for about... I've mentioned on about seven or eight episodes of Warrior's Main, and I've never had anybody bring it up, so I know nobody's watching Future Man. There you go. But, yeah. You seen it, James? I don't think so. I think you'd fucking like it. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, it's it's kind of up your alley of just like ridiculous, ridiculous shit. So, um, it is a, a rated R extreme version of idiocracy okay. in a lot of ways. Uh, it's 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 in the same conversation. I guess. I suppose. It's also uh, an idiot's guide to Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots of time travel. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. anyway. Um, so, uh, we also have drapers, rope makers, rug makers, and weavers. And there's, like, weaver was a big industry up until, like, the automation started to happen or we could have machines do the weaving for us. But, like, weavers were, like, that was intense. We also have all sorts of uh, clothing makers and stylists. You have uh, tailors, depending on uh, different materials that are available. You might have different tailors that are specialists in, like, silks or uh, different kinds of um, textiles. Denim, denim, denim. Denim, denim, denim. Uh, spinsters, cobblers, which are all about shoes. Uh, they're actually about um, repairing shoes. There's actually different kind of, like, shoemakers is a different thing as well. Uh, Shoesmith. Shoesmith. Uh, you have glove makers and purse makers. Someone has to make those those burlap sacks and bags, and that's the purse maker. Uh, Is it actually called a like a purse maker? Because yeah. I know like yeah. a lot of that stuff would be made with hides, and that would be done by a tanner. The tanner would prepare the leather, but he doesn't process. It. Okay, that's right. And, sure. there, and there's a difference between a tanner and a leather. The tanner tans the leather. The leather works it into shapes. Sure, leather. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Uh, there's a haberdashery, which is all about hats. Uh, I've got tanners and leathers on here, leatherers on here. But also remember that there are barbers as well. When is the last time your D&D &D player got a haircut? 
Never. Never. Uh, how and and for the most part, that's fine because we all have. We're, we all play D and D for three months, like in world at a time. Like the, you don't go to get a haircut in three months. The average person. Well, either. I'm gonna now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we also get hit by like fireballs quite often, so I'm sure most of us have singed ends. Well, also, I feel like if you cut my hair after a long rest, it is healed back to its regular. Well, obviously. <laughs> Um, Four hours only for elves, though. But you gotta, you gotta remember too that barbers used to be like surgeons. They too. used to be surgeons and, and bloodletters and dentists, and like it's oh. a big deal. Uh, there were also bathhouses that were like communal bathhouses for getting clean, but also for like relaxation as well. So, uh, and then there are smiths on top of that. You have your regular blacksmith, which just does basic metalworking. But there are gemsmiths and jewelers and what's called whitesmiths as well. Do you guys know what a whitesmith is? Isn't it gold? It's any precious metal. So okay. the, so a whitesmith would be a goldsmith or a silversmith or a tinsmith a lot of the time as well. So. I guess tin was considered precious at a point. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we have all sorts of tinkerers, buckle makers, locksmiths, and clock makers. Every one of those is different. Somebody is counting those grains of sand in that hourglass, right? And it's not going to be the guy working at the general store. Well, you have to count pretty high to count that much sand. <laughs> yeah. well, that would be the grocer counting all that, because... It's funny, we're heading there next okay, day. Okay, all right. The delicatessen. So, um, for food, we have grocers, bakers, butchers, spice merchants, fishmongers. But you also have smokehouses, where people will work consistently. Uh, and they'll be relatively large, because a lot of hunts will bring a lot of meat in that has to be processed That's very how you quickly. preserve it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you have brewers, millers, uh, and that's going to be different from your granary or your silo. Uh, but you also have water towers that need to be maintained as well, and a lot of people would have water towers, and a lot of buildings would have large catch basins for rain as well. And then we've got the, the people in charge of animals. Everything from farmers to shepherds to stablers, people that run kennels which is going to be a major factor for a lot of people that go hunting, right? You have hunting dogs. Uh, you have then the people that support that, the saddle makers, the farriers, and the veterinarians. And there will be all sorts of veterinarians in a medieval society. As a matter of fact, I'd say there's probably like magical, like magic-based veterinarians and saddle makers and stuff too. Like, like the average one can make a saddle for a horse. This guy's going to be able to do it for a warg or a a drake and because they're going to move differently so they'll have different needs right yeah um and then beyond that we also have just kind of general laborers but this includes people like foresters it was an industry to cut down trees and provide firewood to the people in in the cities in the towns and whatnot you would your daily job day after day go out chop wood haul that shit back into town uh, carpenters are different than foresters. They process wood and create things out of it. There are wood carvers, so for even finer uh, woodworking. We have miners, masons, stoneworkers, and sculptors. But there's also groundskeepers and gardeners as well. Uh, and then painters and... I didn't realize this. I was surprised. Bleachers. That was a real industry for a long, long Where time. Where they would whitewash the homes? Yeah, they'd go and they... Yeah, they would whitewash homes and they would... Uh, they would dump chemicals uh, or paints on roofs and stuff for protecting from the elements as well. It never occurred to me that that would be a thing, and it absolutely is. 
Didn't occur to me to be a named thing. Right? Yeah. I, I just kind of assumed that that would be your basic home repair, but no, that was an industry. So, uh, And, of course, there's other things like chimney sweeps and sewer workers and stuff as well. But then we get into these civil uh, aspects of, uh, of a civilization. And I've broken those up into kind of three categories as well. So there's the social ones, which are churches, temples, and altars. You have orphanages, taverns, inns and hotels, town halls, city hall, longhouse, guild halls, town squares and message boards. You have marketplaces, gardens, and monuments. All of these things exist out there and they need to be, like there's upkeep to them. There's design and there's purpose to them. When was the last time that somebody added a bookbinder to their city? Not just a library, but a bookbinder. Uh, there is... Hey, you, you know what I really like about Theros is it's Greek-themed and there's, like, philosophers that they talk about? I feel like philosophers should, should always be uh, an industry. Like, people should be able to just be a philosopher and be supported. Because I think it's important to have ethics. And they are the people. And... and but ethics are so annoying. They get in the way. Yeah. I'm talking to the wrong two people here. But the the places where they used to um, meet were actually called gymnasia and commons. And so there would be, if you've got philosophers in your cities, if that's kind of your, your city structure, you would have these, um, like, auditoriums almost. Sick and play dodgeball. <laughs> no, not that kind of gymnasia. Uh, there, but there are schools and universities, hospitals and apothecaries. You've got arenas and pitches as well. Scribes and copyists, palaces, lamplighters, town criers and street performers. Don't forget waker-uppers. Waker-uppers. That's an actual job where they tapped on your window to wake you up. Good morning. Yeah. Hello, it's Friday. This is your 6 a.m. wake-up call. <laughs> um... When we think about some of the other things that you can find in here, uh, you're going to be able to look at a lot of fortifications. We mentioned walls and gates. James mentioned moats earlier and, of course, bridges. Towers, turrets. You will have armorers, weaponsmiths, which won't be blacksmiths. A lot of people make that mistake. A blacksmith can sharpen a sword, but is not going to make a sword. They're going to make a cast iron version of a sword in a short... In a, sword shape right so uh beyond weapon makers you also have scabbard makers which was a unique thing uh yeah, general toolsmiths as well right yeah uh fletchers which of course make arrows um there will be a gallows somewhere in the city this will be located pretty close to a dungeon or a jail they are different you're gonna say close to a dungeon or a dragon but <laughs> sorry um there will be a barracks and an armory and a guardhouse, uh, and there's going to be ports. And ports will have a lot of this stuff, like guardhouses and uh, walls and gates and towers all around them as well. And then beyond that, we of course have houses and tenements, warehouses, courthouses, and uh, spaces for lawyers and advocates. There will be toll booths, uh, sheds, banks and treasuries. Inner bridges and inner walls, like they had of Minas Tirith. Like, it wasn't just outer walls. There were rings to these cities, right? We have aqueducts, and as we've said over and over again, sewers. There's a lot of shit that goes into building a city. 
And I know I've missed stuff. This is the bare bones. And that was a huge fucking list. I don't think you brought up brothels, which I think is a probably a major industry in a lot of these little one-stop towns. Uh, yeah, I said... Did you? I said inns and hotels. I just kind of assumed there's always a... I always have a hooker in the corner of a tavern or a, a brothel or of, a, of an inn. There's always just that one person sitting by themselves at the bar. And my players, I guess you're new to this group, new-ish anyway. Uh, Dan and uh, Casey and Megan know not to go talk to that person at the bar. It's going to get uncomfortable quickly. Excellent. So, uh, I don't recommend adding a brothel to, to every campaign. Uh, but, you know, you do you. Well, like a lot of our suggestions, play by your table. Yeah. Yeah, I, I find they can be good for a little bit of intrigue. You can get some story out of there. Yeah, great place to have political information. People are up. listening. Yeah. Yes, there's yeah. always ears in the brothel, so you yeah. can find out what sh- political leaders have done what with whom. Yeah, and use it as blackmail or counter blackmail to try to stop someone from being blackmailed from the location. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to focus on sex while at the brothel. There's a lot of other things you can do that are interesting. And the brothel doesn't have to be just sex. Like. You could probably get the same, if you wanted to have that level of intrigue and not have it be a sex thing, you could have it uh, at a bathhouse or at, um, fuck, the word is escaping me now, where you go smoke hookah. A hookah den. Hookah den, thank you. Isn't there a specific word for that? Probably. But like, there would... Not in English. (laughs) Not in English, yeah, okay. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Um, but But there will be places besides taverns where there will be communal areas for people to get together and you're going to know who knows who. The politician and the baker will never cross paths in their daily life. But they became friends at the bathhouse. And now the baker knows that so on and so forth and here's your intrigue, right? Like You could very much go down these roads um, but let's grab dice because I have a few final questions. Six. Fourteen. Sixteen. Okay, I'm talking to myself. Uh, When you think about population sizes, you obviously have to start removing some of these buildings and services, but there are some that are necessary for all settlements, like shelter, food and water, uh, and security. What's one building or occupation from this massive list that would be very out of place in a hamlet or a small village? And uh, can you tie a plot hook to it? For example, I think the thing that pops up in my head is if you were to have a massive bank in the middle of a 40-person town. Yeah, why? why? What's going on here? Right, and so the plot hook would be that there was a dragon's horde here, and instead of carting the dragon's horde out and into the city, they just built a bank on top of it, and they've got security here. And so if you want to drop off gold or come get gold or whatnot, this is kind of a waypoint out in the outskirts of the civilization. Well, you can go pick up a bunch of riches, and, and maybe there are even, um, like it's a well-fortified, very small hamlet, and you've got uh, the nobles and stuff keep all of their riches out here, because no, it's so well-defended because it's so small, and they always know everybody, right, that, that lives in the town. So every stranger gets vetted. Uh, for me, something like a like high-quality, multi-purpose gallows. So you can do five, six people in a small town of 150 people. Why the hell do they have a gallows <laughs> that can do like a third of everyone at once? It used to be where they took all the prisoners of war. It's where they dealt with them. 
as oh. you're marching back to town, they go up to the gallows and their equipment gets put in carts and brought back to town. Like the village's name is like Judgment or yeah. something too. Like they ropes and something like that. Yeah, they've they've got uh, the town actually popped up around this execution site because people come out to watch other people get executed. Yeah. And need to stay for a couple of days. So first a tavern, then an inn, then a couple of small farms, and now here we are. And the ropes guy to make more ropes yeah. for the gallows, a new carpenter to fix it. That's dark as fuck, but I really like it. Dave? Damn, James. So I was... <laughs> are you surprised? <laughs> no, I'm not surprised, but that's... Anyway, anyways. Uh, I kind of went a little bit backwards. You guys went with things that would be like out of place kind of in the rural setting. I was thinking more what's out of place in the urban setting. Right? Sure. And I'm thinking, like, you're walking down, you see all these uh, beautiful houses, beautiful, you know, storefronts and everything. But then all of a sudden, right in the middle of town, there's a forest? You know, like, you don't, you don't get that very often. You know, that's kind of, that's there's weird, not, that stands out. There's not a whole lot of Central Park in medieval settings? Um, that's not a forest. That's a park. That's okay, different, yeah, okay, right? Like, park. I'm talking, like, you go into this and it is forest, right? Untouched undisturbed land that is completely surrounded by the same city like that's do you have a do you have a plotter for that why is that there that's weird is this some sort of like druid outpost that they've been hanging on to like you know what what's going on in the underbelly of this so i want to say it's in theros but i don't remember what book it's from where they have the golden stag and the golden stag is that just is theros is it's, it's i, it's I have the card yeah, yeah okay yeah um, and the golden stag is not something to be hunted, but it's it appears right before a, uh, a major event as a blessing or an uh, omen yeah. of some kind. Yeah, right? I remember this. And yeah. so maybe, the, like, it always appears in this patch of forest, and so the royal family or the noble houses of, can be either to protect this patch of land to bless the city, because if we remove the forest, the golden stag might not show up. That would be... I think one of the plot hooks. And then, like, there are people that are consistently camping out in the forest to try to see the golden stag. Yeah. Or you have, you know, I'm a member of the stag watch, and it's part of the, like, the um, clerics or the men of the cloth that have to do a, a period of time just camping and communing with nature, and maybe they'll see the golden stag. Well, that's kind of cool. And there's the one homeless guy outside the bar that, I saw the stag six years ago. <laughs> Back when I saw the stag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... All right, let's talk about it. Noble districts, merchant districts, poor districts, and ports. What other unique or interesting sections of a city might exist for a D&D player to explore? Uh, I am very, very much about exploring the palace and the royal grounds. That's, that's where my players want to go, and there's always shit to do there. I won't necessarily flesh out every single NPC that's there, but I will flesh out a fuck ton of them. Servants all and all... Like, like, chambermates of all the way up to king and queen. I will have people at every level to interact with and rooms at every level to to explore and interact with as well. Right down to the to the dungeons or trophy rooms. or And you don't have to get too nuts with it. When you're dealing with, like, the, the palace, the castle, the royal grounds, you just have more of the same, but it's slightly different. Like, we've got the west uh, dining room. That one is all decked out in purples. We've got the east that's all decked out in browns, right, in earth tones. And, like, we we tend to have her side of the family here and his side of the family there. Like you just, just start duplicating. We have 95 guest rooms in the castle. I only have to design four, right, and then just copy-paste. Uh, James? Mage's district. 
Yeah, magic district would be good. Yeah. Magic tools, magic supplies. A great way to give your players special magic items that they won't need for a dozen levels. I did a magic district one time for Mieka's campaign, and I had to, to. I went out of my way to say that this entire district is locked in an anti-magic field. You can buy this item, and the receipt is attached to it. It's tied to the item, but you can't test it till you get out of the bounds of the magic district because there's just some things that should not mix. I like the idea of the industrial area of town. Nobody goes into the industrial area. You're not going ever talk. You're never talking about like the universal solvent plants. Because industrial revolution right. hasn't happened yet, David. In some places, it has. Yeah, in Sharnan, they definitely had that. Absolutely, right? like there's industry. You know, there's also going to be warehousing. You know, like there's going to be. Uh, yeah, I have really needs to, to to store things. I really like hand wave the idea of the ports side, but like. Warehousing, shipbuilding, ship oh, repair, yeah. like there's caverns for sailors. Me, he, like, like, he, oh, yeah, there, there's all sorts of farmers markets and shit down there as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times in real world, cities have been built on top of each other for various reasons. That means that there are sprawling cities with catacombs, crypts, ruins, tunnels, and other secrets buried beneath the player character's feet. With urban settings uh, so full of opportunities for adventure, intrigue, role-playing, and exploration... What do you think most DM? Why do you think most DMs avoid urban settings? Considering like you can do all that exploration and shit here. In my opinion, uh, it's because when you blow something up, you now have to justify. It. Like the consequences are real. People will know who you are. You can't be skulking around. The murder hoboism goes out the window in a major city, right? Or else you know the law cracks down on you. And for a lot of people, that's not fun. So. That's not what D&D has traditionally been, although I think more and more we're, we're getting away from that kind of... What consequences to my actions? <laughs> I have enough of that in real life. James? Uh, for me, since I've now completely forgot the question, had a brain fired. Well, why, with all of these exploration opportunities and ventures and stuff... Oh, yeah. Be... Too much to keep track of, too many moving parts. That's a big part of it. I mean, I have the luxury to sit down and build freaking 200-person NPC lists just to keep in my back pocket. Yeah. But especially in a metropolitan city where you want to have, oh, everybody comes together and they look at you and go, well, you don't have any hobgoblins on your list. Are hobgoblins not in the city? <sighs> Fuck, I guess I better add hobgoblins then. Or come up with a reason right now as to why there are mm -hmm. no hobgoblins. So that, yeah, that could be intimidating for a lot of a lot of DMs. Well, I think about that. They lip off the guard captain as they go into the city. Well, that guard captain's going to tell his Genex commander that there's a new group of adventurers who are lipping. Yeah. He'll tell all the other captains to keep an eye out for this group. So now, you've pissed off, theoretically, you've pissed off all the guards by having one interaction. Mm -hmm. That's a lot for a DM to keep track of and a lot of players even think about. Yeah. Dave? I just, I think there's just so much going on when... I mean, you know, I've already said it. I don't really make my own settings. I, I tend to just dive into the pre-built campaign settings. And in order to really get the most out of it, you really need to sit down and go through a thousand years of history. Yep. You know, there's a lot, a lot of information to get through before you're even starting to really explore the world and what it is. And I'd rather just avoid that completely, sit in a small setting, Small, small ideas, small setting, right? Like I play yeah. a small game, and I don't, I don't want to say that your games aren't epic because they are, but they're tight. 
right? Like, they're very railroaded. Here is the epic quest, and this is what we are doing. Yeah, this is the story. Yeah, it's like a movie. Well, you play very cinematic. When you DM, you have a cinematic story to tell. And you, there's like it's like in a movie, you have 90 minutes to tell your story. We don't have a whole lot of time to go dicking about in the backwoods, right? So, whereas for me, I'm a, I run it like a comic book. Who knows who the main character is going to be this issue. We know who our basic team is. We're going to slowly grow over time. And there's going to be ins and outs and, you know, little plots hinted at, issues in advance and shit. So, that, make, that makes sense that you wouldn't really want to dig into an urban setting like that. Something to be said, too. Like, James, you said, like, there's a lot of moving parts. How many fucking businesses do you have to name? Yeah. Now, it's not just NPCs. I can, I'm pretty good at just coming up with dwarf and gnome names off the top of my head right now. But, like... How many different inns can I come up with? Because there's going to be 75 hotels throughout this metropolis. I don't want to fucking... Hey, do you know anywhere we can stay? The rich place, the poor place, and the in-between place. We're playing Goldilocks now. Like, I'm, I'm not getting any more detail to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a medieval fantasy setting, there are opportunities for unique parts of cities, for small folk, giant kin, multi-limbed creatures like centaurs, creatures with sunlight sensitivity, flyers, and amphibious creatures. What is a kind of unique building or structure or occupation that might revolve around meeting the needs of a specific kind of fantasy creature? Uh, for me, right off the bat, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that the closer to the ports you are, the more likely you are to have uh, rooms with sunken floors that are, that are able to be filled with water. For tritons and some of the more amphibious... Merfolk. Yeah. So who would you... Yeah, I mean, Sahujin are evil and merfolk don't have legs, but you have Lokatha that might come in. You had, like, you're, you're absolutely right. There are sea elves. There are, um, Vidalkin are amphibious and might want a more humid or water-based place. Simic hybrids. Like, sure. There's yeah. a great one. The, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. So that's the first thing that I think about. Is there anything? Similar to that, but canals in the port cities for the merfolk yeah. and stuff to travel up and down. So they still have access to the whole city. Oh, have yeah. small pools in different establishments so they can go into the pubs. Like the swim-up bar the and stuff. Exactly, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So they can still be part of that, the community. That never fucking occurred to me. I, 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 well, it goes my, back to the whole inclusive thing people are now yeah. talking about in D&D, where there's wheelchairs and all that. It's inclusive to someone who can't walk on land. We actually played in a part of an Eberron campaign. It was right out of a module. It was the Emerald Claw from 3.5. And there was a section where they were in a city and there were these canals where the Sawajin were kind of like in and out and bumping around and kind of, you know, taking the canals and then getting around. And it was, it was interesting because it's combat that they hadn't really dealt with yet. What happens when you have to fight on that third dimensional plane, right? When, yeah. you, when it's not forwards, backwards, side to side, you don't have to go down. That's that was very different right mm-hmm. so yeah, it was kind of neat a lot of bridges a lot of gondolas like i'm just i'm thinking of venice now i i love venice venice is my favorite city in the world it's too bad mm-hmm. it's sinking into the ocean but it's I, that's is it sinking fucking... or is the ocean rising first one then the other yeah um yeah i think about like there's so much there's so much giant kin and small kin centaurs that's my big thing that i know i've talked about on the podcast before is is do you have special bathroom facilities for centaurs? I mean, I, I assume they just poop like a horse, so you just give them the, like, the old poop bag. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you're, I know exactly. If, I, if you're going to be walking around the city, you got to have a poop bag on. It's like if I'm walking around my rural neighborhood, I am not wearing pants. But 
If I'm walking around my urban neighborhood, I'm wearing pants. I'm sorry, are you Donald ducking it when you go out into the bush, Dave? Is that what you're saying? Sometimes. Why do you think they go to the bush together? That's why they call it the bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, before we get into any of that shit, let's cut to a brief info break. That was an info break. <laughs> If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram, or on our subreddit, r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe, and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Do you guys have anything else to say before we wrap up this discussion on settlements, buildings, and structures? I guess my last thing is there's going to be shit that pops up all the time that you never thought about. Especially when you get into big urban settings, you're going to have players that are going to want to go out and, and go to that store and be like, Hey, where can I go out and buy something like crutches? Or I want a wig? Or I need to re-up my shit for my disguise kit. There are there are magic stores like like magic and I mean like magicians like at a for a kids party stores in real life where you can go in and get trick decks and and folding swords and shit like that. There and there should be other places that exist out there that we don't think about for D and D. When that comes up, you don't have to prep it; just prepare for it. I would rather have the merchants prepped without a business and without a. a uh, structure so that I can throw them into whatever I need. So a lot of the times my prep work is prepping merchants and I'm like, okay, who would be really neat to, to run a disguise kit? Obviously it's going to be a changeling, so I'm not going to go, obviously it's going to be a halfling, right? And they're just going to try to, to sell their little trinkety wares, right? To, to help you flesh it out. So I'm going to have my list of NPCs set up and I'm, I may have if I, if I do this level of map making, I may make just empty stores, empty buildings that I can put shit in, right, and on, you know, on the fly. But obviously when it comes to encounters and stuff, I do a lot of prep work ahead of time. If combat's going to break out, I do the math, I crunch it pretty hard. When it comes to settlements and world building, I like to go, I like to keep an eye on the big picture and then design in the little picture to support the big picture. Right, kind of like an umbrella. I'm not going to flesh out the whole fucking thing. I'm just going to have a couple of posts in the middle that's going to hold up the whole structure, right? Um, so don't prep too hard. As much as I'm listing, there's cobblers and cartwrights and shepherds, and these are cool little things you can add for variety, but I'd only prep two or three of those per, per civilization, right, per settlement, before I'm starting to do too much work. Dave, do you have anything? Not really. I think we... we... Did a good job here. Yeah. We, we, we've talked about you, Donald, ducking it, and this is all we can think about That's now. That's literally the only reason I showed up today. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that off of my, you know, I guess not chest. Ass? Yeah, get that off my ass. <laughs> James, any final thoughts? No. no just, just, uh, I'm willfully blanking my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for this part of our discussion on settlements in D&D 5th edition. Please take a second to engage with a like, follow, comment, and review to help push our engagement. And don't forget to subscribe to find future inspirations for your campaigns. If you'd like to support us, we have a store with some merch and a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a Patreon. 
This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. I'm trying to figure out how to slide rat hole to rat hole in there, and I never got to it. Rat hole to rat hole? Yeah. What? Future Man. Oh, from Future Man. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I, I hope they can hear us. I really if, do. If you can hear us, fuck. <laughs> See you next Tuesday.